just wasn't sustainable. Like when I look back at my lifestyle, it was inevitable that I was going to either like get seriously hurt or go to jail. I'm kind of lucky I went to jail, to be honest. And I love podcasts. I think they're beautiful. It's like, it's art, you know, like you get to create this like beautiful, like crystallized conversation that'll like never happen again. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> and that's why yeah. we're here. <laughs> Wait, do you see it the same way? Yeah, because it's just, I, yeah, I probably don't know how to put it into words like that, but it's just, yeah, it is that thing. It's like a conversation that will never happen again in that way. And then for me, especially, it's such a privilege that people will share the truth about who they are with me, especially in a situation like this when we're complete strangers and you trust me enough to like enter this thing we've create that we're creating together to have a conversation where neither of us know what's going to happen and (laughs) well because I don't know like you're there's like a lot of trust here and it's just like really exciting but also scary sometimes I'm like why am I doing this? Especially because it's like, I'll go and just to someone's house and meet them, someone who I've never met before. And it's like, is this like a safe situation? Anyway, it always is. But yeah, but yeah it's really cool. I, I mean, I checked out your profile and I like went to your Spotify account and you did a podcast with one of my, my ex-friends, uh, jo- Jordan Herbs. He's really cool. Oh, your ex-friends is in Twitter friend. <laughs> No, not like, like, we're not as in we're like, we were friends and now we're not friends. He's still my friend. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Oh my God. Amazing. Not EX. Cool. Yeah, he's cool. We chatted about like Bitcoin and travel and all, all types of things. He's a, he's a really cool guy. Nice. Okay. So for context, the reason I, damn, I just had this tweet up. So yeah, I saw this tweet that you wrote that's talking about, this phase in your life when you were getting drunk all the time to the point that you ended up in jail twice and were charged with three felonies. And then it's like this story of overcoming and like how you turned everything around. So I'm really interested in that story. But, and I think you mentioned it in the post, it's like how your childhood relates to that. And that is how this podcast always begins with how you grew up. Yeah, it's a good question. So I'll just dive in. I mean, I'm American um, from the United States. I was born in Virginia, which is a state on the East Coast. I had a very privileged childhood, honestly. It was a, uh, you know, my dad was a lawyer. My mom was a teacher and like a guidance counselor, you know, very educated parents. And it was really a great situation to be born into. And uh, I had a great childhood, honestly, just like really a beautiful you know, a beautiful, like lively, safe, healthy childhood up until I was like 12. And then I remember coming home from school one day with my mom and like my dad was on the porch in the back porch and he was smoking a cigarette and he was like, he rarely ever smoked. I think he smoked, but he like would never smoke around me. So it was very weird, you know, to see him out on the porch. I remember something was like off. 
like the vibes were immediately off because he was doing that. And then I saw my mom went out and talked with him and they started like crying. I was like, oh, something weird's happening. And then turned out he had this like stage four thyroid cancer. So he had this cancer that had already like spread, you know, into his spine. And he was pretty much a goner, you know. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that he was like terminal. I think they kept that information from me because like it would have just crushed me. You know, I was only 12. But it, you know, he he got the diagnosis in November. It was 2002. I'm 33 right now for context. So it was November 2002. And then he died in May 2003. And it was just brutal, you know, just a brutal experience to just see this, you know, your dad. It's a symbol of masculinity and like strength and and fortitude. And just to see him just like totally weakened. You know, he had his surgery called a tracheotomy where they put a... uh they put a a trach tube, you know, in your throat. They essentially like just open up your throat and put like a tube in there. So it was, it was brutal. Like he couldn't really talk. He couldn't like he could talk, but it was like he sounded like Darth Vader or something. You know, he had to put his his finger on it. And like it was just a really rough period of time. And, you know, my mom was stressed. Like I was stressed. Everyone was just like super stressed all the time. My dad was depressed. I would like stay at family's houses and like friends' houses for periods of time. And it was just, I mean, honestly, just very traumatic. And then uh, I saw him one last time. He, cause it was like, he had this like really rare type of cancer that only like a few people each year have. Um, so it was like, it's kind of like winning the lottery, but for cancer in like a really, like a, you know, the statistical way. So it was just a terrible type of cancer. And he died. And then it was just like, all right, well, I guess he's dead. And it was my mom and I just living in this house and, you know, we were both traumatized and we just kind of like kept it together as best as we could for years. Then I um, went to college. Somehow, I mean, like I was always a good student. I was always like very good, but I, my grades tailed off a little bit. You know, I was actually like, I want to paint too rosy a picture of who I was, but I was a very good athlete and a very good student for years. And then when my dad died, I kind of like stopped, you know, I just kind of stopped becoming interested in things that I was normally in. I just got really depressed without even knowing I was depressed because I don't think I had any emotional awareness to identify what I was like feeling or what was going on. So I was just like numb and I stopped playing, you know, I was a really good basketball and soccer player and I just enjoyed doing those things. And I just like stopped playing altogether. I just started playing video games and like eating junk food and just staying in the house all day. And like got kind of fat, you know, instead of being this like athletic little stud kid that I was. And then I, my grades, you know, fell off and it was, I was like, I was like kind of like in this foggy, smoky haze for like 10 years. And I think the post that you were referring to that I, I talked about was just uh, going to college um, when I found alcohol. Like I just remember the first, I drank for the first time in high school, you know, like people party in high school a lot and I got exposed to alcohol. Maybe it was like 16, 15 or 16. I started drinking with some friends and I remember the first second, like the, like, I remember even before I drank, I knew that there was something in the drink that was going to like numb my pain. I felt like this very strong pull. To, I mean, I know a lot of kids like to party, but I felt a very, very strong pull to alcohol. Like I kept on hearing people talk about it. I just knew there was going to be something in that bottle that like took away my pain, like intuitively kind of understood. And then I started drinking. And like, I remember the first time I took a sip of beer, uh, it was like a Heineken, I think I was like, whoa this is it, you know? And like, I drank some whiskey, um, with one of my friends and I got drunk and I was like, I was like, that's a great feeling, you know, like just that feeling of like, just being drunk. Like I, all, all that pain went away 
I was like, this is great. You know, like I'm, it's gone. It's out of here for right now. And when I went to college, I just went crazy. I absolutely went crazy. I had no moderation with my alcohol consumption. I would just drink. Like I remember one of the first times I drank in college, I had like six shots in like the span of an hour. And I like passed out drunk and my friends drew on me. And I'll say friends like this because like what kind of friends would draw on you. It was just these kids that like lived down the, the hall for me in college. And yeah, I, I really just became an alcoholic like the second that I joined college. And I, I realized like a lot of people drink when they're in college, but I was really, really drinking. Like I was getting absolutely plastered all the time. And it just kind of came to this crescendo. I think it was like my, oh yeah. Also, I think it's necessary to say like, the, the crew I was rolling with, we were hardcore partiers. Like we really, really drink. And I mean, one of my friends actually died um, my sophomore year of college. He was actually like, I hung out with him the night that he died. And I had, I want to say luckily, but I had drank way too much and passed out in his apartment. And he went out to a party and they were at like a party and they were trying to, there were kids hanging out on a roof of this like, it was like three or four stories, like, you know, uh, 10, 10 meters up. You know, I know you guys use meters like normal people. We say feet. Uh, but he was like 10 meters up and he's trying to climb on the roof and he like lost his balance and just fell down 10 meters on his head and like he died. And so like I was just in a very unsustainable crew and we were just, yeah, go ha- ahead. Okay, wait. So I was going to ask how you process that. But I feel like I want to also back up and be like, so you're an only child. Whereabouts in yeah. Virginia were you? Uh, a place called Norfolk, Virginia. Um, it's pronounced like, we call it Norfolk. It's N-O-R-F-O-L-K. It's actually, it has the biggest Navy base on planet Earth there. It's where like the U.S. has a lot of their gigantic Navy ships. They keep them there in Norfolk. Huh. And it's like a, it's like right on. It's like a hundred thousand people or something. Well, actually, it's like two hundred fifty thousand. It's uh two hundred thirty five is what this says. So, like a, I'd say like a small mid sized city in the United States. And what was your relationship like with your mom after your dad died? Yeah, we became really close. I think for a while we were just like trauma bonded. You know, we were just both like scared and lost little creatures just trying to like survive, you know, but I, I think that we are extremely close. I'm actually going back home on when I live in Colorado, which is like kind of the middle of the U.S. and is like 1800 miles away from where I grew up, but we're going to go to Argentina together. We travel every Christmas. We go on like a big trip together. So I'm getting ready to go on a big trip with her and. I try to call her almost every day. We're very Amazing. close. And how did she, was she aware of like the drinking and the kind of patterns you got yourself into in high school? Yeah, she knew about it. And I think actually like, cause I got in trouble a couple of times in, in high school, just like there was one time I got too drunk and I spent the night at a friend's house and like his mom called my mom and she's like, you got to pick Tommy up. And she like really tried to tamp down on it. I think she almost tried too hard, which made me like want to do it more. I think if she had, she was just doing what she thought was best, but I think she really, uh, she hated me drinking and she knew I drank a lot. And it was something my dad, I think, struggled with a little bit in his life too. And did you have 
good friends at school? Yeah, I had great. I had a lot of good friends, um, both at high school and college, but a lot of them, a lot of like the friends that I picked up in college, like I'm still friends with them, but like, honestly, like we had, I think less in common interest and value wise. And like, we just love to drink, you know, like they were just friends that we just had a great time together. The energy was great. We just love to get drunk, but now I'm on like this self-improvement grind. You know, I like meditate and I like run and lift weights and I don't really drink at all anymore. I have like one drink a week, I'd say, if that. So I'd say to the friends I made in college, like we just like to get drunk together. But were there people who, because that's like a massive thing, losing your dad and especially being an only child. Were there friends you could talk to about it or it was kind of like you just wanted to bury it? I think I just buried it. I just kind of like became, I remember my mom tried to get me to do like therapy a couple times and I just didn't like it. You know, she would just like, the lady would just ask me these tough questions. I was like, it's like, who the hell are you? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you anything. And my mom always wanted to talk about it. And yeah, I think I really just pushed it down. And I think it was almost like my nervous system's way of like, just like, I think I knew that I have to just have it together and like do deep, like, do decent well, either well in school and get through it for my mom. And I still ended up going to a pretty, a pretty solid school. It's called Virginia Tech. It's ranked like 20th in all the public schools in the country. So it's like a very, I was still able to, to keep it together and do that. But I always wonder what could have been if that didn't happen. It's so interesting. Cause I recently recorded a podcast with my little brother. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. I thought we were just going to argue, to be honest. But he ended up telling (laughs) this, like, quite vulnerable story about him growing up. And he was, like, around 12 or 13 when my older brother died. And he was saying similar things of what you just said of, like, that he kind of just wanted to bury it, like, focus on you know, other things, but also that he like went and saw a therapist or a counselor or something. And it it was like, he said the exact same thing as you. It's like, who is this person? Like, they don't know me. Like, why am I? And I, yeah, it's also interesting. I think with depression, it's like a different approach, different things work for men and women, but it's kind of, um, I think it can like the same thing can be, you know, the same script of like go and see a therapist or something but then it doesn't work for everyone so yeah but okay so so then you went to virginia tech which mm-hmm. yeah i feel like everyone so this is probably not great but everyone internationally knows virginia check tech because of the mass yeah. shooting wasn't there a really high yeah, profile totally. mass shooting there like years ago yeah, no, like the biggest one that's ever happened at a college. I think it was 32 humans were killed oh by this guy named Cho. Yeah, it was like this Asian, like foreign, like this Chinese foreign exchange student that just bought a bunch of guns online and just went absolutely psycho, you know, and locked rooms and with, yeah, yeah, massacred people. And that was two years before I went there. He did that in 2007 and I was a freshman at Tech in 2009, but in a weird way, like, I think that it like it was a really, really great spirit and culture at the at the university because and I think they had gone through like this collective trauma as a school, you know, like and it almost 
had it had like this magic to it, you know? Like it's a beautiful campus. It looks a little bit like like Hogwarts from Harry Potter, like all these just like giant like stone buildings. But yeah, that was crazy. Like I remember like cuz I grew up in Virginia and like like I remember they stopped school and like had it on the TVs and we were all watching it. It was it was really really scary. Huh. But yeah, that's unfortunately the you know, it's it's a good school, but that's its reputation internationally unfortunately. And how far away is it from where you grew up? Like five, five hours, about a five hour drive. So when I would like go home, it's five hours, but I, I really enjoy it. It's a great town. It's called Blacksburg and it's in the Appalachian mountains, which are a beautiful little range of mountains that, you know, kind of like go north and south up the entire East coast of the U S. So then how did you process the death of your friend at uni? (laughs) Yeah, we were all just. I don't think I processed it at the time. You know, we were just so traumatized and like that was just like this more trauma to just add to my list of traumas that I'd gone through in my life. And I just started we we all just started drinking harder, you know. We didn't process it well. We were just we just started to party really hard and harder than we did before. And I think that that's what led to me you know, getting arrested a couple of times. It was not that long after I mean it was like a year and a half after you know, we were just partying like the world was going to end. You know, we were, if I look back to how we were drinking, you know, we were taking beer bongs, keg stands, you know, the whole nine yards, like shotgunning beers. I was getting blackout drunk two to three times a week. And when I say that, I just mean, I got so drunk where I just would for totally blackout and like forget what I was doing. And it just wasn't sustainable. Like when I look back at my lifestyle, it was inevitable that I was going to either like get seriously hurt or go to jail. I'm kind of lucky I went to jail, to be honest. There were times where I would get in my car in those states and I would like drive, you know, and like I could have killed myself. I could have killed other people. Like who the hell knows? You know, it was a really, really scary time. And it taught me so much about, about human trauma and how, and what we do to numb ourselves, you know, like what we'll do to not feel how, you know, pain. Huh. So his, mm-hmm. what was your friend's name? His name was David. Sorry. And yeah, go on. Yeah. He died, he died in 2010. It was my sophomore year. And he was honestly a really good friend. We were, we both wanted to go to law school at the time. Uh, and we were studying philosophy and we would, you know, be in some of the same philosophy classes together and just a good buddy. I'd known him since I was like six years old. And his death didn't make any of you think like oh shit we need to like not get into dangerous situations why you would think so but no i think we were just so like we're just such a lost group we didn't have leaders we didn't have anybody that was like on a good path that we could like observe so we were just we were just sinking down to the behavior of ourselves you know i can remember after dave died i i remember i had no idea what to do so we just like smoked a stupid amount of weed you know just to numb the pain we just kept passing it back and forth. It was, it's so sad. And like, I haven't thought about this in a while. It's like a therapy session. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I can. I went on exchange to the US. So I can. I saw a lot of this stuff, this like drinking culture, especially in the um, frats and whatever. Like, ever, like your post brought back memories of the Edward. What is it? Edward 40 hands or whatever? Yeah, it's like, I'm drinking, this is water. This is Mountain Valley spring water. But you essentially like 
you you tape two forties to both of your hands, you know, so you can't even like, you can't even do anything with your hands until you drink the bottles, you know, you have to finish them. It's, it's two, it's like 80 ounces of malt liquor. So it's just like, you're going to be really drunk by the time you're finished. Yeah. I mean, um, Delia, where, where did you, where did you live in the U.S.? Uh, so I went on exchange to Cornell, which is like a big oh, nice. Greek life York. place. New Jersey? The New, New Jersey? York, upstate New York. And then it's in Ithaca. And then and then I moved to New York. So The city. Yeah. And then I lived there for a few years. But yeah, it's totally different. Like a lot of people don't realize this, how the drinking culture in the US, like it is extreme. It's like, because the beer is weaker and people kind of make fun of Americans. So it's like, yeah, you're like soft or something. But it's like proper drink, like on a Monday night, like getting absolutely hammered. And yeah, all this, like the shotgunning, the whatever, keg stands. Yeah, we'll just have parties or kegs. like, And I think that's the thing because it's so socially like everyone's doing it like everyone's having so much fun like alcohol's so cheap and it's like you buy it at the pharmacy like it's just so readily available that when you're struggling with it when you're like abusing alcohol it can kind of go under the surface which I think happens everywhere it happens in this country as well and in Australia it's so bizarre because for any other drug it's like everyone can see that something's wrong if someone's like using a ton of cocaine or like something else. But with alcohol, it's almost like the opposite. It's like, if you're not drinking, it's like, wow, what's wrong with you? Like drinking so fun. We're all Mm -hmm. doing it. And it's like, is it fun to be like passing out? Like every, I don't know. Like when, cause when I was there, I was younger and it was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And I was like going out all the time. But then I think it's like, then when you're, in your 30s it's like huh okay for some people this is like a problem it's not just fun yeah i resonate with everything you're saying you know i but you're from australia originally nice yeah i know that you guys party hard too i know that from my own travels you know i've like met australian people in hostels and they they're always just like such fun like outgoing people generally um but I know, and I was friends with a couple of Australian exchange students when I went to Virginia Tech as well. But yeah, it's 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 extremely toxic, and I don't think it's it's just awful. Because I, I think here in America and like Australia and Great Britain and like the Western world, I think we don't really we don't suffer materially. You know, like we have all the things that we need to like live life, and we're not struggling to put food on the table generally, like most people. But we struggle spiritually. And I think that that's what's happening in college. You know, I think it's just like, I think going out and drinking, it can be fun. It can be great. But when you do it all the time and you, when you do it so much, I feel like you're just trying to fill up an empty hole, like in your soul. You know, and I, I think that that's what we were all doing, whether we knew it or not at the time. And if I look back at myself, I just, I just see this scared, damaged, numb, like traumatized, like young man that, didn't have purpose, didn't have leadership, didn't have a role model, uh, nothing like that. So it, it took me years and years to get past it. And like, I'm at the point now where I don't even like drinking at all. Like not even like a single drink. Like sometimes the vibe is right and I'll have like a beer, maybe two, two is about as hard as I'll go these days. Cause I just know how valuable my sleep is and how valuable my health and my spiritual and mental and physical health. And 
I know when I wake up in the morning, like I'm not going to want to work out or go on a run or meditate or write. You know, these are all things that have become such integral parts of my life that help me move forward and evolve as a human. And I think that that's like, it's taken me a long time. But for me, I think my purpose in life is just to grow and to create and to to be as positive as I can for other people. Because like life is really hard. It's so hard. And we're all kind of going through it. And if I can be a beacon of light for other people to make their experience just even a little easier, then that's great. Amazing. So what was, so what were the situations when you got arrested? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I remember the first time, uh, it was my sophomore year and I was just hanging out with my friends, you know, my drinking crew we were drunk and one of my friends had uh, Molly, MDMA, the drug, and I had never done it, you know, ecstasy. And I was like really drunk and he offered it to me. And I remember, uh, you know, you kind of put it in your mouth and like rubbed it all over my lips and stuff and like, you know, below my lips. And then like a few minutes later, I just like blacked out, you know, after I did the Molly because I was really drunk already. I might like, I don't remember exactly, but I, I probably was close to blacking out already from the alcohol. Then I took this other strong drug and I don't remember anything. And then when I came to it, I was in a jail cell doing push ups. I was in a push up contest with a guy wearing University of Miami jersey down in Florida because we were playing them in football that weekend. And like, I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'm in jail, you know? And I was, I, I woke up in jail and I was in the drunk tank. And I like learned, you know, like I, I called a friend the next day and he picked me up, you know, it was like, I don't know, 20 miles away. So 20 minute drive, friend picked me up in the morning and it turns out, you know, I just passed out in the stairwell of a building next to my building. So I was like trying to walk home. I didn't quite make it, went, walked up to the wrong building and just fell asleep in the stairwell. I think somebody saw me and called the cops and was like, there's just a wasted kid here. They just picked me up and took me to jail. So is that a, relatively hard. Is that a normal thing what, what? that happens? I don't think it's that normal, but I don't think it's like that irregular, you know, in a college town. Uh-huh. So instead of like trying to like look after the person, it's like, let's just get the police to deal with it. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess they were just like, whatever. I don't want to deal with this kid, you know. And then so they, called they the cops. just have a setup. They just have a cell where they just put drunk people. Yeah, it's called the yeah, yeah, the drunk um the drunk tank is what it's kind of like referred to in uh colloquially, I'll say. And I was in the drunk tank and nothing really bad happened and then And then you wake up and you're I, you know, free to go. Yeah, yeah. Typically yeah, yeah, I was free to go in the morning. Did I give you a warning the second time, Well, they give you have to go to court. They give you like a court date, you know, and like they prosecute you, you know, given the charges. Oh, and, and what are the charges? I think that time I was drunk in public. Um, so it wasn't that bad. And I had to report it to Virginia Tech as well. And Virginia Tech didn't suspend me. They just gave me a warning. And I needed to write like an essay explaining what I learned. Because you're underage, right? Yeah, I was underage and I was way too drunk. You know, like society's not going to work too well if people are just getting drunk like that and passing out. Huh. And then, so what happened in your in the court thing? I was guilty of like drunk in public, and I needed to take like an alcohol class. And then 
But um, like it was about a month later, actually, I got the second charge, which was actually a lot, a lot more serious. And I, uh, I got wasted again and no Molly involved, but it was a Tuesday night and there's like this bar called, they called the top of the stairs, Tots. And I got like wasted at Tots and I was going to go, I was staying at my friend's place and I apparently walked into the wrong apartment, um, across the hall from them. I, I heard I, I didn't force myself in. I just like walked in and I passed out on a couch in their place. I guess I woke up the people that live there, you know, it was late at night, it was like two or three in the morning. And they're like, you have to leave. And I was like, this is my place. And they're like, no, it's not your place. You have to leave. And I was just so drunk and like, I wouldn't leave. So they called the cops, which I understand. And I actually remember kind of like coming to it, like right after I got picked up and the, um, I remember I was in the cop car and the cop was trying like, you know, it's Virginia. Everybody has like a thick Southern accent. And like, he had like this thick Southern accent. He was like, son, you might be in jail for a few days. I'm like, what? You know, like what's happening? Because what I did there was like, I went into somebody else's residence, which is breaking and entering, which is like a felony charge. Then it was like, I think they tacked on another, like drunk in public. That was also a charge. And they tacked on another felony because if you're in somebody's residence at like late at night, they're assuming that you're going to either like steal something or hurt somebody. So it was like with attempt, they, they added on this like other charge, like with attempted larceny or something. But luckily, like I'm a pretty good dude and like I don't hurt people. I don't like, you know, I've never done that before. So I got off on all the charges, but it was really rough because it was like a month after I originally got arrested and they, uh, Virginia Tech at that point, they suspended me. They almost expelled me, you know, because they had to like bring me there to talk with me. Because, you know, that's two serious charges in like the span of a month and they almost expelled me, but they just suspended me for a quarter for, I mean, it's not a quarter, a semester. And then I, uh, had to get picked up. It was just so humbling. You know, my mom had to come and get me out of jail and like, you know, it was just very, very traumatic few days. And I remember I just got like hired at a job working at the university. It was like a nice job, you know, like back then. I was getting paid like 15 bucks an hour, you know, nice money on the side, which, you know, it was a lot more money back then than it is now. But what was uh, the drop? Yeah, it was really, it was just like, um, just doing some computer work. We were looking at car crashes and like, you were like, kind of like analyzing the events that led up to the car crash. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it was something like that on a computer. And my friend helped me get the job. And like, I had my, my like second or third day of work the day that I was in jail. And that, that was a lot more hardcore this time because they didn't let me out of the jail cell until I blew a 0. 0.00 on the BAC. And so I was in jail from like, I don't know, 3 a.m. until like 4 p.m. the next day because I had so much alcohol in my system that I was just like there and like nobody else was there for me to chat with. So I was just like sitting around, laying around, just like going fucking crazy. You know, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. And it was really difficult, but since it was a felony, they like put me in like an orange jumpsuit. I'm sure you've seen it in like American TV shows. And I wore like orange on the top, orange on the bottom. They put me in this jail cell with like hardened criminals at one point. Cause they were like, they had like a little courtroom in the jail where they were like going to tell me essentially like what they were charging me with because uh, they just needed to officially tell me that. And I had like handcuffs on and foot cuffs, like the whole nine yards, just like walking around like a, like, like the felon that I was at the time. And I slept two nights overall in jail. Like the next night I actually hung out with some guys in another cell. 
we actually had a great time. You know, they were really nice guys and we just like played cards. But I remember there was one moment. It was like really like a spiritual moment where I was like looking at myself in the mirror. I had the orange jumpsuit on. I had bags under my eyes. Like I was pale. Like, you know, I wasn't working out then. You know, I was, I was in bad shape. I just looked terrible. You know, I actually posted my mugshot on X. I just did not look good. I look good now, but I did not look good then. And I remember just like, like staring myself in the eyes, like this really like deep connection with myself. I was like, just feeling all the pain and all the misery and all the desperation and sadness that was going through my system. I was like, I was like, you're never going to be here again. Like never go to jail again. And sure enough, I, I've never been back. I think it was like 2011 or 2012 that this happened. Uh, I think it was actually early 2012 or late 2011 when it happened it during the winter. And yeah, I've, I haven't been back, but it was, it was rock bottom, you know, and it was, I'm actually kind of grateful for hitting rock bottom to be honest. Because my life has kind of been on an upwards, a pretty steady upwards trajectory ever since that event. So the first time in jail wasn't really a wake up call. It was just like, oh, that happened, but it's all fine. Yeah, yeah I immediately continued my routines. Like, yeah, I was just, I didn't change a single thing after that first event. And I was just like, yeah, like that's a, that's an anomaly. Like I'll be able to continue doing this. But if I had any like wisdom or sense of like what was going on, I would have, I should have known what was going on in my life then, but I needed, I needed another punch in the face. You know, I needed a harder punch to, to wake me up. And then, so what happened after you left jail? So my mom picked me up. Uh, we had to tell Virginia Tech and like we, we my mom and I both knew that I was going to get suspended, maybe expelled and we had like a, a date where we had to go talk with like the leadership at Virginia tech and like, you know, people running that. And they were essentially like, yeah, we're going to suspend you again. You have to write another essay. And they said that like, they almost, ex it was kind of like a, a fusion of suspension and expulsion expulsion. They needed me to turn in an essay like five or six months later. And then once I turned in that essay, I had to meet with them again and they'd be willing to like, you know, they'd be willing to reconsider me back at the university. And Sure enough, like between that time and yeah, like after that, I had to move back home to Norfolk with my mom. And that was just very, very, uh, I don't know, like emasculating and defeating. You know, I just felt like a loser. You know, I was just like, it's like 21, struggling to make my life work in any meaningful way. I was out of shape. And I was just like, I had a couple of like service jobs. I was like working at like a, a dog daycare and I was like working at like a grocery store. I just felt like a loser, you know? And like the only other kids that I knew that were back were kind of burnouts and losers that were like, you know, addicted to drugs. And I started hanging out with those kids a little bit and like, yeah, so I, it, it was rough. But then the thing that really changed my life though was nature. I did, there's this thing in the United States called Knowles, N-O-L-S. It stands for National Outdoor Leadership School. And I had an aunt that also kind of got in some trouble when she was a kid. And my, my grandparents, her parents had sent her to Knowles. Um, and my grandma was still alive then. She's passed away since, but she, I think it was like, it's, it's not cheap. It was like $5,000 to do this program. And she paid my full, you know, tuition to do this, this school. And essentially the school, like they sent me and several other younger people. Um, there's like, there's a couple of guides you know, that were like in their late twenties that would like lead us in the outdoors, but we had to learn how to backpack and camp and fly fish and, 
navigating the outdoors is in Wyoming, which is like, Amazing. it's kind of close to where I am. Now. Yeah. And I spent a month, you know, like 30, 30 straight days living outdoors with just like the food we had on our backs. And like, I mean, I was one of the, the bigger, stronger kids in the group. So I had a really heavy pack, you know, I had like a 60 pound pack and it like for the first few days, it felt like there was like these demons that were like getting exercised. I remember I like couldn't sleep. I was going through so much pain for the first few days because I was just, I'd been exercising. So I was just getting destroyed, you know? Um, but eventually like the shift happened and I was able to sleep and I was reading books and I lost like, I think I lost like 20 pounds uh, in the outdoors in like 30 days. And, you know, we were just hiking like 10 miles in the mountains every day. It was unbelievable. And I came back and like everything changed after that. What changed? My attitude. I, I kind of like found spirituality. I remember I came back and I like, I, I got accepted back into Virginia Tech and I had a couple, I was, I was majoring, I was a double major. I studied philosophy and, um, geography. So I was studying like geographic information systems, GIS that I could get a job in and then philosophy. And I just remember, like, I felt like more connected to myself at that point. And I started doing, um, I don't know where I found, I read, um, Eckhart Tolle's power of now. And I started meditating. Like I looked up some videos online on like how to meditate. I watched a couple of those and I just like started meditating and I started taking psychedelics like mushrooms and acid. And those things just kind of like taught me about the human experience. And, and I started working out, I started going on runs and like lifting weights. And I, I started playing basketball a lot again, because basketball is a sport that I just, I dearly love. So I was just like, really moving my, I started moving my body a lot, which I think really helped me get out of the rut too. I just have, I started having a lot more self-respect and self-love after I had spent all that time in nature. I just really had like this different kind of lease on life, you know, and I don't think it would have happened if I hadn't have gone into Wyoming for a month, you know, like it, it almost for sure wouldn't have happened. So I'm a big believer in the power of nature. I'm a big believer in the power of meditation and psychedelics to some degree. I, I, I don't necessarily like blanket recommend psychedelics to everybody, you know, those come with their own little, their own risks. But for me, they were extremely helpful. How were you introduced to psychedelics? Hmm. I had just like heard about them a lot. And I told you that I had that kind of like strong intuition to start using alcohol. I kind of had this strong intuition that like there was going to be like knowledge and truth in these psychedelic experiences. So I, I started reading about like Alan Watts and like Tim Leary and like Ram Dass and all these, like just these kind of like spiritual gurus. And I, I was, I started researching online about mushrooms and uh, sure enough, like, like within a couple of weeks that I started like really researching them. Like one of my friends was like, they, he had some, he had some mushrooms and he was like, he was like selling them. And I was like, wow, man, like I would love to buy some, you know, I bought some and one night, I think I took like maybe three grams of mushrooms and I didn't even like do, I was just like in my apartment. I just took them and just had a magical experience. And I just felt this deep, deep connection to myself, you know, upon using them. And I kind of went on to use them like way too much uh, over the next like months and years. Like I remember I was doing them every other weekend for a while. You know, I would like get a group of friends together and we would just eat mushrooms or take acid and just like hang out. And 
I got a lot of healing from them because I think that they just, I, they were like a spiritual shortcut for me. They kind of just showed me like what my life could be if I like, and, and they, they, I remember getting downloads. Like when I, on my first acid trip, I remember I, uh, I took acid with my friend and it was just us two. And we got like a delivery of food, like this, like calzone. Do you know what a calzone yeah. is? <laughs> yeah. It's like a folded in pizza. It's not healthy at all. And I remember like looking at the calzone. I was like, this is not good for me. I was like looking at it and I was like, this doesn't even look like food. And I was like, I'm about to eat this and this is going to be my body. And I was like, I just started really taking care of myself and really realizing how important all the input into my body is and the input into my mind, like food, uh, food is, I was just like essentially just waking up, you know, it was just, uh, I, I just experienced 10 years of just like painful, depressed trauma and my body was like finally coming online and I'd say like every year since then, I've I've just improved my life like to a really large degree. Now I'm like 33, and I, I just I've, I I'm not like I can't pretend to be like all times are good, but I'm very happy. I'm very grateful. I feel very uh, alive. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Um, I go on runs, like I go on hikes in nature. Like life is just really good right now. I have a lot of friends that really like care about me, and I and, and that I love. I have a loving mother. So yeah, I feel very, very good about my life right now. And it's taken such a long time to get here. And, you know, there were kids that I grew up with. Like I have another friend who he lost his father when he was 12 and he didn't quite make it out of it. Like I did, you know, he still lives in his hometown and he, I think he never really like came alive. So I think for every story that there is like mine, like there's people that just don't make it out. You know, the statistics on, on people that grow up without fathers is, is very discouraging. You know, if you look at rates of suicide, rates of depression, rates of pretty much every negative thing you could think of, like they're all up like exponentially if you lose a parent when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Crime as well. And things like that. Like a lot of, yeah, a lot of prisons are filled with young men who didn't have a like strong male figure due to a variety of reasons, I guess. Not j- and that's kind of I think what I assumed for you because I guess in many cases it's like the you know the relationship breaks down or there wasn't a relationship and I think that's what I assumed I when I read your post I didn't realize your dad had passed away but I guess that's a mm-hmm. that's a big thing as well yeah I was cast into the belly of the beast you know pretty much right away I was just like, you know, the, the the dragon metaphor, you know, I was like just handed a sword and I had no idea what to do with the sword for years. And I'm supposed to slay the dragon, you know, and I think I, I was just, I was kind of weak and inept and just unconscious for years and years and years. And I feel like now I'm, I'm just trying to embody what I view to be like healthy masculinity. You know, that's all I want to do. I just want to be a, I just want to be a light, a light for the other, for other people in my life so I can help them in their dark times. And sure enough, like I've become that person for a lot of my friends and that's all I can hope for. Like, I just want to be a, a positive example of, you know, of like humanity. I just, I want to be a good person and I, I really strive to be the best man that I can be. I'm not perfect, but none of us are. And so I guess going back to when you returned to um, Virginia Tech, did you, did your friendship group change a lot? Not really. No, I still drank a lot, but I drank less. It was like, I was more in control. You know, 
I, I, I started like smoking weed more, you know, instead of drinking. Um, so I think that that like, I'm not necessarily going to tell people to smoke weed every day. Cause I don't think that's good, but I kind of replaced alcohol a little bit with weed, which I thought in psychedelics, which did a lot better things for me. I would still drink, but not nearly as much or as often as I did before. And I didn't really have any, I had a couple of times where like I was dumb, but like I, I never got arrested again. Huh. And your friends were like accepted that you weren't. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And the other, I also remember another time that like, I just told my mom about it for the first time. It was because I started like, I loved weed, you know, I like kind of replaced weed for alcohol in some ways. And I, I was just a wild little kid. Now that I like look back on my life, like I remember I was just like on the highway, I was smoking weed on the highway in Virginia, on the way to Virginia Tech, going back to school, you know, like this was my big second chance, you know, to go back to tech. And I was literally smoking weed on the highway and I got pulled over for speeding. Um, literally just lit up the bowl, had just smoked and the lights of a cop came on behind me. I was like, whoa, this is not good. Um, so I like, I put the bowl of weed in the lighter in like the center console. And I was like, well, whatever happens here is going to happen. And, you know, like I might very well go to jail right now. Everything's going to go away. And this sucks. Um, and then the cop pulled me over, walked up to my car. It was like, Hey, like, good evening. Uh, do you know how fast you were going? I was like, Nope. And he was like, yep, you were going, I don't know, like 13 over, you know, I was going like, maybe like 78 and 65, I think. And I was like, Oh, sorry about that officer. You know, I, I remember like before he walked up, I was just like, cause I was starting to get into meditation at the time. I was like, just be chill, like be calm, be respectful, be kind. You know, like that's what I kept reminding myself. I was just like, do all those things. Like be cool, be respectful, be kind. And I was like, no, I, I'm sorry about that, sir. Like, you know, I'm sorry I was going that fast. And he's like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna have to write you a ticket. I was like, that's perfectly fine. You know? And then he didn't say anything about the weed at first. And he like, oh, actually, the, I think that this is he, before he asked that, he had asked me like, where are you headed? And I was like, I'm going to Virginia Tech. And he said, oh, Virginia Tech, I'm a Hokie. And he like graduated from Virginia Tech. And he, he had also went there and was like, yeah, it's a great school. I'm like, yeah, I love it. And I think then he went back to his car and like got the paperwork and like wrote me the ticket and was going to hand me the ticket. Then he like looked at me right in the eyes. He was like, have you been smoking weed tonight, sir? And I was like, I was like, no, sir. And he looked at me and he, I, he didn't wink, but he knew what was going on. He knew I'd been smoking and he cut, I think he saw my record, you know, and like he knew kind of what would have happened to me if he had like reported me and I just lucked out. The universe just like winked at me in like this really big way. Cause if it had been another cop, you know, that didn't go to tech or something like that, like I would have gone into jail and I would have like lost my chance right there. So that's another story that I think I should probably tell an ex because I think it's a good story. So did that scare you? Or you were still like, <laughs> okay, I can kind of get away with stuff. No, I still, st I, I, I would still smoke weed and stuff, but maybe less when I was driving on the highway. I think it taught me to not, yeah, I mean, that's just good advice in general. You know, if you're driving on the highway, don't smoke weed. Um, but again, I, I, I think, I think I'm like, just kind of like a, I, I like a high T male. And like, I always need something to like, to like, to do. It's something like I always try to push against, um, boundaries, you know? And like, I found 
the way to push against boundaries when I was a kid, like to drink a lot, to smoke a lot instead of like playing a sport or working on a craft or like learning guitar or something like that. You know, my, my outlet was always like, you know, very unhealthy things. And I think that that's why you see a lot of young men getting in trouble is because they don't have healthy outlets for their, for their testosterone and the masculinity. And they just like do these very, very like deacon things that like break down society and culture. It's okay. And I found on the web for he's a <laughs> Is that Siri? Yeah. It's, I don't, I love my MacBook, but there's like this weird little Siri button that like is triggered. <laughs> sometimes. I'm sorry about that. Um, and what was your mom's reaction to you being suspended or your friend? Like, were you able to, I don't know, were you feeling a lot of shame when you returned or were you able to honestly tell people what happened? Yeah, I felt a lot of shame. I mean, I kind of like blocked out that part of my life to some degree. I barely even remember it. It was just, I remember, oh God, this is so dark. I remember I started using, because I, I was being drug tested because I had to take like alcohol classes and I remember I couldn't smoke weed. So I started like at the time there was this new synthetic weed called Spice that had just been just released. No research had really been done on it, but it turns out that it was really, really bad for you. And I remember smoking that stuff and just getting just annihilated. You know, I would go to the moon. I would go into these really terrible, dark, anxious places when I would smoke this drug. And I remember doing that when I was at home, you know, I just, I just so desperately needed to self-medicate, you know, I was just so traumatized and in pain that like, there was no other way around it. So I would just use this crazy synthetic drug that had, uh, like now, like th there have been like multiple cases of like just people committing heinous crimes on these drugs. It's like, they're, they're, it's really, really bad. It's way worse for you than like normal weed. So I did a lot of that. I don't think my mom really knew about that at all. I, I, I really did a good job of being like really sneaky about it, but yeah, it was not good. So and was I she, felt, yeah, was she like, upset with you for being suspended? Yeah. I mean, she was just, yeah, she was like, we're really connected. So I think she was kind of like feeling all my pain as well. She was, she was not happy. You know, I think everybody was really concerned, you know, my grandma, my family, they were all worried if I was going to turn into like this giant loser, I think, you know, and I, I was kind of worried about that too at the time, but my life took a very different path when I did that outdoor leadership school. And I think it's very telling that like it came from the two most kind of influential women in my life, my grandmother and my mom, you know, like kind of this, this feminine kind of like healing energy kind of like stepped into my life, like right at the perfect time. It was like, Tommy, here you go. Like, here's a gift, like go out into nature and nature itself, I think, has very feminine qualities to it. So I think it was kind of like this divine feminine spirit that kind of helped pull me out of the the muck. You know, there's this quote that I really like. I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh, like the, the Buddhist guy. He said, uh, no mud, no lotus. And I was in the mud for like years. And now I, I view myself as kind of like this lotus flower that's kind of like, that sounds maybe arrogant, but like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's exactly what happened in my life. Like I'm now a positive human that is shining my light for others. And it would not have happened if I didn't experience just this intense pain and darkness that I had to go through. Mm. And what you mentioned law school, but what kind of vision did you have for your life at that point? And did it change? I had none. 
No, I had no real vision. Like I only wanted to go to law school because that's what my father did. And, you know, I'm a hyperverbal person. I did really well on like standardized testing. And like, you know, I had great aptitudes for law. You know, I can speak well. I have a high vocabulary. And like, I was like, yep, yeah, makes sense for me to go into law. But something just kind of pushed me away from that. I, and I'm kind of glad I didn't go into law. I don't think law is the field that you, like, I, I think you can be a lawyer. Like there's plenty of use cases for lawyers still. I'm not going to like talk crap about the entire field of law, but I think it makes a lot less sense than it did when my father went, went into law. Cause I think a lot of it's getting automated and like, it's just, you don't need it as much. And I just kind of felt this, like, I want to go out to Colorado instead and like, just go on an adventure, and, like see where my life goes. And since then, you know, I've, I've got, I'm in a sales role. Like my day job is in sales. I've started my own photography business. I write every single day and usually I post on X almost every single day. Um, X has been an amazing vehicle for my own personal growth since I've been there the, the past few months. I don't know Ooh. what you think about it. Yeah. What do you think about X? Um, yeah, I think same for me because I don't know. I ha- I have this like thing about, I don't know, it's like so stupid, but like fear of being seen or like being speaking what, you know, there's like people pleasing stuff. It's like, oh my God, I don't know if it's the culture where, you know, at the moment it's like, so much sensitivity it's like I don't want to hurt someone just by being who I am (laughs) and like saying what I think because and then so it's been great for me to be like cool I'm going to like say like write stuff that is true to me and like experiment with that in a place that's not so performative you know like I've always had Instagram or whatever but that's very like you know, you play the game of like posting a certain type of picture, but Twitter, yeah, it's really fun to experiment and to start from like zero and like see and like engage with people. Yeah. Like it's so cool. We're having this conversation now, which Mm -hmm. just came from like, how crazy is that? That couldn't happen in, in any other time. Like how would, unless there was like some pen pal situation where we were like paired together and wrote letters to each other do you know what I mean it's like how do you connect with like totally different people and Twitter seems like that place so yeah I think it's really cool it obviously gets such a bad rap from people who aren't on there but and there are obviously really toxic parts of it but I think you can steer clear of those I do too I mean I think it's the most positive social media platform by far like I actually built I want to say a big Instagram following, but I have like almost like 3,600 followers on Instagram where I kind of like share my photography and I've been on there for years and I've gotten way more benefits than being on X for like four months than I have from like years of posting on Instagram because I think Instagram is like this beautiful, like colorful, like highlight reel. In X, there's a lot of substance. I think, I think the reason why so many, this is my theory. I've been reading a lot about like just like propaganda. I'm reading a really good book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. It's a phenomenal book. And he's like the OG, like the original propagandist here in the United States that was able to just move millions of people's opinions about things. And I think, I think a lot of what's going on in X is like simply, it is a free speech platform. And if you're like a platform like CNN or like the New York Times, you don't want free speech. You don't want people questioning like the narratives. You don't want people like having these open-minded discussions and evolving because it's like, it's counter to 
all of the toxic like propaganda they're trying to like shove into our heads. So I think that that that's primarily the reason why there's so much toxic discourse around X because Elon is just such a like a wild card and he's going to do exactly what he wants to do despite of like what all these powerful entities want him to do. Mm, yeah, that's super interesting. Edward Bernays is Freud's nephew, right? And he yeah, set up the first. Yeah, because propaganda, he he set up the first public relations firm because he was like, okay, we're going to do propaganda, but to sell products. But mm. propaganda sounds too scary, so let's call it public relations. And then that's like advertising. User, exactly. Right? It's like how he got women to smoke cigarettes. Like it was like the cigarette companies were like, we're missing out half the market because there's a taboo against women smoking in public. And then he like figured out how to use our like primal drives which is yeah advertising it's all like sexualized or targeting fears or mm-hmm. yeah so interesting and it's everywhere it's not just from the media it's like yeah from advertising from but even from ideas it's like on this on my podcast it's like I'm trying to influence people to think that they can like overcome things like that's why I'm interested in stories like yours because it's like I want to have an influence which I hope is a positive influence but to spread this message of like being responsible for your life and to kind of to counter this like victim messaging which I feel like is kind of widespread as well so it's all nihilism yeah nihilism or just like blaming other people like the anger like I really feel so sensitive to that like anger that it's like it's this which you do get a lot of on x as well as I guess you get anywhere where it's like it's this person's fault or it's this group of people's fault or it's you know this is why my life is terrible and yeah a lot of people's lives are terrible And like, to your point, like life is really hard, but it's like the way you get through it is to take responsibility for yourself and to not Mm. blame someone else or something else, whatever. 100%. No, I think like what happens in your life, it's not necessarily like your fault or anything, but it's your responsibility to deal with what happens. You know, it's not my fault. My father died, but who else was going to walk me down the path of spiritual enlightenment and awakening. Like I was the only person that could have possibly done that for myself. And it took me years and years to figure out where I went wrong and where I went astray, but that's just the journey of life. You know, I think, I think when you're going through your life, like it, it all seems so chaotic and like crazy when like in the moment. But when you, I think when we're on our deathbed one day, when we're in the eighties or nineties or whatever, it all kind of have this like beautiful symmetry and like order to it, you know? Cause I, I think in like a strange way, like life is just so life and reality are just like so mysterious. And I don't, I think there's a lot we don't understand about like what's happening right now. And part of me thinks that like, it's almost like, like the universe itself is like this infinite loop and like all the stuff has happened before and it's going to happen again, like an infinite amount of times too. But that's just neither here nor there. But yeah, the propaganda that we were talking about earlier, I think that that's why people don't like X, frankly. Huh. Yeah. That's the main because like people didn't really seem to have like this weird aversion to X until Elon Musk took it over and was essentially like, we're doing this differently now. You know, people didn't really shit on Twitter like they do now. 
I think people always thought it was like a the comment sections. It was like an aggressive play. I don't know. I just never. I don't know. I think people are like, oh, what's what's the deal with that app? It's a bit intense. Uh, I guess it's more. It's. I mean, it's mostly an American thing as well. So maybe I'm thinking from an international perspective. But um. Okay, so wait, so you finished college and then you were just like, I'm going to move to Colorado and find a job there and start my life there? Pretty much, yeah. I lived in Blacksburg for one year after I graduated and I had like had a job working at the university in geographic information systems and, you know, I was living a fine life. It was just like, I liked I liked my life. I had enough money to like pay for food and, you know, like to live and, but something was off, you know, I just felt like, I remember like there was this one time where I was just like hanging out with some undergrads, like smoking weed. And I like just really had this like deep thought in my head. I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? Like I should go somewhere else. And I had a friend that like my best friend moved out to Boulder, which is in the Denver area. And was like, was like, Hey man, like, and like, we were just like had a long conversation about like what his life was like there. I was like, man, that sounds awesome. And then I just started like reading about Colorado and just, I had this, like I'd never even been there in my life, but I just had this like strong intuition to like move there i was like i thought i was like i think that's the place and i just like loaded up my car my mom drove across the country with me which i didn't have many things so a few things and i didn't have much money i was kind of broke i wasn't in debt but i was like broke and i moved out to colorado and i made it work i i had a a little bit of income coming in from my like job at tech but i didn't really have a job so i got like a cashier job at whole foods then i found like a better job then a better job then a better one and now I'm in like a good spot and it gave me a lot of confidence in myself and in my life. Like, you know, I feel like I could move mo- like almost everywhere in the world now if I wanted to and just like start from scratch again and make it work. And probably I could do it a lot faster now than the first time because I have more skills and more connections and more like tools to do so. You know, I've been working a lot on writing and sales and just marketing and just that. Like I, I think communication, I think persuasive communication is one of the most valuable skills that a human can learn. You know, uh, Dan Coe, he's like one of the biggest creators on X. He he has this video about like the most valuable skill a human can learn. He says it's persuasive communication, whether it's through like your your spoken word or through your writing. I think both are extremely powerful. I, I spend a lot of time these days on like X spaces and a lot of time writing and then sharing with X because you get this real-time feedback on how powerful your writing is. You know, like, we wouldn't even be doing this if I hadn't have had good writing, you know, if I hadn't have like posted a tweet that went viral, you know, like we wouldn't even be talking right now. So it's like, it's such a beautiful thing that's happening on the internet. If I think if you can leverage it, right. Yeah. But I think for me, it's, it's the honesty and the vulnerability and like, that's what drew me to it. Right. But yeah, obviously you have to be able to communicate it, (laughs) but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's really important as well, which I probably have to remind myself because, yeah, when stuff gets hard and it's like, oh, but then if you remember, like, actually, like, I am sticking to my values and I'm, like, honest and I'm, you know, it's like stuff can't go that badly if you're yeah. trying to, you know, be the best version of yourself or a good person or whatever. Yeah. I think, yeah, intentions are, I don't want to say just as important as results, but they're, maybe they are, 
You know, like I think your intention is incredibly important. You know, if you like, if you go into something with the intention to like hurt somebody and then it like works out well, it's like, did you actually do something good? I don't think so. But yeah, I, but also it's like, if you have good intentions and you go into a situation and like you fuck it all up, it's like, was that a good outcome? So it's, <laughs> it's like, they're important, but they're not everything. Yeah. 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 You need both. That, yeah. You, so you need purpose as well. That's why I was, that's why I was interested in your, okay. So, but to, so now with your, how do you think about your purpose as it relates to your job or how do you separate these passions of like writing and photography and then like your day job yeah well it's it's a good hopefully my day job doesn't listen to this but i don't have to work that hard um for my day job you know it's a i think that's how most corporate jobs work you know like you're not actually working eight hours a day you know i i can i can still do i do a good job though i don't i'm not like a slacker you know i i usually go above and beyond what i'm supposed to do and like you know it's sales and i usually hit and like surpass my targets for sales. But I try to do it in as minimum of time as I can, you know, anywhere from like four to six hours a day, maybe. And then that gives me time where, I mean, I view writing and photography as just like, like play and just this kind of like beautiful form of creative expression and art that I just like love to do. So I pretty much just any moment where I'm not like working, you know, I try to take care of my health. And then if I'm not doing something that's taking care of my health, I try to create. And in a way, creating, I think, does support your health. I think I think the mark of a very healthy human is creativity. I think if we are healthy and calm and relaxed and like our needs are taken care of, I think the natural byproduct of that is creating something or like building something. You know, I, I think no human really desires to be on vacation their entire life. You know, I think if you were to just go to like Thailand on this like beach, you know, like it would be incredible for maybe like a couple of weeks. But if you didn't have anything you were building or working on, I feel like almost every human would just like start to go crazy and be like, all right, well, this is cool, but like, I need to do something right now. And, you know, there's a book that I was going to bring up that it's a very popular book. And I'm sure people brought this up before, but Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You know, I think mm-hmm. he, he talks a lot about how, like, if you don't have, if you don't have a purpose or meaning in life, like you're just going to naturally distract yourself with pleasure. You know, whether it's drinking or drugs or porn or sex or what, whatever it is, you know, like you see it in our culture. Like I think so, so many people in the West are just absolutely numb and just depressed without even really knowing it because they just have, they're not building anything. They're not creating anything. They're not working on anything. And they get pissed off by politics and like whatever the rage of the day is, whether it's like Ukraine or like Israel, like they just will get really, you know, pissed about everything that's going on because they just have no control over where their lives are and what they're building. So I think building and creation are at the center of the human experience. And I think we just get, and I also think purpose can come in the form of like athletics and like running and lifting weights. Like I'm a power lifter and I run like those things give me immense purpose, you know, like just knowing that I'm building my body and getting stronger and getting healthier, like all these things I think are essential for living a good life. Yeah. And are you, and you're able to be like, okay, your job is important for money because you need money to live and like, it's enjoyable enough. Even exactly. If it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I think I used to have a job like before this job, it was like killing me. Like it was just such a terrible soulless job. And I felt like I felt sick, you know, like in all the ways, but this job, it's cool. Like 
It's not that stressful. I never, ever really think about it when I'm not working. It puts food on the table. I help people in the job. I get to learn some skills and like sales and communication and marketing. And it's cool, you know, but ultimately like my purpose is bigger than that. And like one of the reasons I'm on X is ultimately I'd like to monetize my brand and, you know, make money on the internet. That's the end goal. But I see a lot of people on X, uh, I, I like, again, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm friends with some people that are very advanced in the space and that make a lot of money. And what they keep urging me to do is to build my brand and build my audience before I build an offer, you know, and then I think if, as long as I continue to like build this, you know, kick-ass personal brand that I'm, that I've got going right now, I mean, I've grown really fast. I've scaled to almost 1800 people in like, like four months, which I think is pretty good. And I, you know, as long as I keep doing this, I feel confident that, there's going to be a service that emerges for me, you know, within this creator economy. I think you just have to like give, you have to give this weird like internet organism a lot of your energy and then it like gives you back in this, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think you're coming at it from the right energy where it's like you're, you have a job, like you have stability. Whereas that, I think you can sense that like desperation maybe from some people where it's like they need to build like urgently, they need people to be buying that stuff because they are so resistant to a like nine to five or something. <laughs> which yeah. It's like this whole war against like, I don't know, a lot of stuff people say about, about just demonizing work as if it's like the worst thing ever is I think pretty misplaced because you can get so much purpose from a job from even like some of the jobs you mentioned, like at, at a, you know, in hospitality or whatever, you're surrounded by people, you're talking to people. It's like all these things are really important for us psychologically, as well yes. as just like giving you like getting out of bed, going somewhere. I don't know, maybe the pandemic like messed with people as well. But the energy yeah. you're coming out of from seems like way healthier. And then that's going to be sustainable because it's like you have so much joy doing it and it just makes sense that people would be like attracted to that energy organically and then you can grow from that exactly i think the internet and like social media it's like i've heard there's this guy justin c scott he's a pretty big creator on x and he talks about how the internet is like this great attractor it's like if you put out like your vibes into the internet like these genuine vibes it's going to attract like-minded people that resonate with your energy you know and that's that's the approach that I take. I just try to like be as gent like I don't try sometimes I'll maybe engagement farm a little bit and like post like kind of like controversial takes, but I try to stray away from any type of behavior that doesn't feel resonant with my values. So I try to post things that are just organic. And I actually have a DM. I'm not gonna call this guy out, but like the the cringiest thing on X is when people try to sell you things, you know, without even knowing you. Like this guy sent me a a DM the other day was like, Hey, look, if you could make 20 K per month with your personal brand, would you be interested? And I was like, Hey, like not a fan of this. Um, like if I, I chewed him out cause I, I felt like it was a good opportunity for me to like, I wasn't an asshole to him, but I was like, like, bro, follow my stuff and genuinely tweet me like a human, you know, don't just pitch me. I'm not a money making device for you. I'm a human. And I think that more people need to approach this X sphere like that, you know, like you have to give it a lot before I think you can ask for something really in return, you know, is the way that I see it. And I think if I keep doing what I've been doing, like I bet I'll be at like maybe 10,000 followers and like maybe like in a year and then my brand will be big and like, I'll just have a lot of authority. And I think 
it'll be natural for me to create some type of offer that will help people. You know, I, I want to give people a lot, you know, if I, if I want to like, I actually almost thought about launching a coaching offer because I gave a bunch of free coaching calls to people just about like life and growth on X. And like, I've helped all those people a lot. And I think I could have, I bet I could have pitched them and made money. But part of me was just like, Hey, like this is a long game. Like you're in this for a while. You're in this for years. There's no point in trying to just monetize quickly. You know, I think it's really silly. And a lot of people fall victim to that, you know, just trying to make money, make money, make money. And then I think when you do that, you damage your brand in a big way because you just damage people's trust in you because you'll offer too much and you'll like claim that your product or your service will be able to do something that it's really not able to do. So I'm just trying to take, I'm just, I'm playing the long game. You know, I think that's the only real, real way to play any game. You know, like why would you want to like just short term burn out in anything? Like I'm here for years on X. I see a vision for this platform that, I mean, I think we're still very early. You know, I think a lot of people, I think X is going to get really, really big, like way bigger than it is now because of its philosophy and because of its kind of uniquely uh, free speech driven approach. I think that people are going to continue to get burnt out by the, this like weird corporate oligopoly matrix that's like, like just kind of like running our global culture right now. And they're going to like want to find something that's not that. And I think X is that it's like, uh, I think X is kind of like social media is Bitcoin. You know, it's like this place where like people can find some sense of freedom and self-expression. So I'm in this for the long haul because I believe in Elon and his intentions. Okay. Last three questions. Cause I know I have to go. Oh yeah. Hit me. Hit me with it. <laughs> um, what? Oh yeah. I wanted to ask you this before how you came across Eckhart Tolle's book. The question is, is there a book that had has had a big impact on your life? Oh, man, this is a little cringy, to be perfectly honest, because I remember when I found out about it, I was going through this phase where, like, I wanted to learn how to, like, get girls and get women because I had no success with it. And I, like, watched a couple pickup artist videos. And, like, one of the guys, one of the pickup artists was like, this book is amazing. I was like, okay. And, like, I got it from a pickup artist, weirdly enough. Wow. And that led me. Yeah, no, it led me down this spiritual path, like learning about how to like pick up women and sleep with women. And like, I'm not proud of that necessarily, but that was a phase of my life that I went through. I got it from that book. And I, I mean, from that video. The I also power got of now. Yeah, I got meditation from a pickup artist too. Serious. Huh. I it's guess crazier. because picking someone up is all, it's like similar, like sales, propaganda, yes. all these things. It's all about understanding and empathizing with someone else like that's the seduction thing that robert green who wrote that the power oh, yeah. and then the seduction thing it's like seduction is all about understanding who the other person is or like you know and then that kind of relates to like being present and like all the mindfulness things you yeah. know yeah big concept in like yeah the pickup artist world is like frame it's like heading into it with like your frame and like just being present and like cool and like not like not being like moved out of your frame. Like pull, it's about like pulling other people into like your frame. And the most powerful way to do that is like meditation. And I don't I, I think there's a lot of toxic things in that pickup artist community. Like I, I'm not endorsing it by any means, but I think a lot of like young men that are like testosterone fueled, they'll like come across that. And like I took very useful things out of it. And 
and maybe some toxic things too that took me a little while to unlearn. But I think a lot of men go through that phase where they, and like, they don't talk about it a lot because it's like kind of taboo and like, sounds like you're a psycho or something. But like, I think more men than you would think actually do that. They just don't talk about it because it's like, because they think it's weird. Yeah, of course. But it's like, yeah, it's like normal to want to know how to attract the opposite sex, especially if you're not like, you know, naturally gifted at it or something i don't know yeah no you're spot on i think the ultimate advice though that i would like, give my past self if you wanted to like i'm still single like i've had girlfriends but like i'm single right now but it, it it's like to get a good partner become a good partner you know it's like learn all the skills that you have to learn to be like a good husband and a good father you know like just be strong physically mentally spiritually read books you know have a good network of people around you now, that's what I would say. And I think a lot of the pickup artists, they, it's almost like too short term. You know, it's like, how can I sleep with this girl right now? How can I pick her up? But like, that's not good. I think if you want to attract like a real partner, because I think a lot of the pickup artists, they, they just like, they fake these traits that like a good ma man would have instead of like actually embodying them. So I think, yeah, to be a good partner, to, 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 to have a good partner, be a good partner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, so it, is that the book that had a big influence on your life or is there another one? That was a huge one. I mean, there's I, I'm a huge reader. I've been I've read hundreds of books throughout my life. So I, that's definitely like the one that like put me on the spiritual path. So I think if, if somebody's like spiritually curious, that's an incredible book. I think another one that was really good is um, by Alan Watts. It's called The Book on the Taboo of Knowing Who You Are. That was a really powerful book for me as well that helped uh, originally get me to move out to Colorado. So that book – and there was one other one by um, – he's a very controversial guy. His name is Osho. Um, he wrote a book. Uh, there's actually that – have you seen that Netflix documentary on Osho? No. So it's called uh, it's called Wild Wild Country. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. You should check it out. It's an amazing show. Um, it's about this guy Osho. But he uh, – he essentially like started a cult, but he's an incredible philosopher. And he had this book called Courage, which was also – it's called Courage, the the Joy of Living Dangerously. And I read that book right before I was going to move out to Colorado. And it was just – it's like, all right, well, I got to just – got to do it, you know? <laughs> cool. So, those books. so the book by Alan Watts, Power of Now, and then this Osho book called Courage. Those are really good. Um. Okay. And then how do you stay grounded? Uh, combination of things. Like I actually literally ground almost every day where I'll like go to a park and just take off my shoes and like put my feet on the actual earth. Cause you know, we're bioelectrical beings. Like we're like charged up like little batteries and you know, we've spent our entire evolutionary history, like grounded down to the earth. Now we live in these cities with like concrete everywhere. So I think actually grounding my feet on earth and like, absorbing the bioelectric pulse of the actual earth and the magnetic sphere of the earth is very valuable. I meditate as well. I also do breath work every day. Um, this breath work called Soma is the name of it. S O M A. And there's, uh, some very good YouTube videos and Spotify kind of like, um, I guess they're tracks that you can use to, 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 to do the Soma breath work. Is it like Wim Hof? It's a little like that. Yeah, I've done a I've done a good amount of Wim Hof and it's it's not too dissimilar from that. There's a lot of like holds and like 
different like cadences that you practice and like it's I like yeah so soma meditation I like lifting weights I ran today I went like on a little four mile run today these are all things you know that I, I think help me ground into my I think when I when I hear grounding I just I just think about like kind of like becoming present in your own body so I'd say that those are great going on walks too. I, I'm a big walker. I walk about 15,000 steps every day. And I think walking is huge. What kind of meditation do you do? Usually it's just like, you know, I, I've I've never had a teacher per se, but it's some kind of combination of like mindfulness meditation and like uh, bodily awareness meditation. Like I just kind of like, I just sit there and do nothing. I just try to like absorb everything, you know, like in my surrounding and in my own experience. I just try to like watch it all non-judgmentally. With a timer on or something. Yeah. Or sometimes I'll I'll do it without a timer. I'll just like sit down and see how long I'll sit there. But usually with a timer. And sometimes I'll do guided ones, but typically I just like try to make it super raw and like don't listen to anything. Nice. Okay, last question. Do you Um, meditate? Do I meditate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, but at the moment I'm doing oh, actually I just did this really cool thing that's like this hypnosis thing to work out it's like what are these biggest things holding you back or something right now? And then it's like you go it's really cool. So then the person like makes this audio recording about me and it's like saying it's like saying my name like Delia you are blah 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 and like saying all these things that I like want to feel about myself like it sounds kind of like affirmations but it's not it's like deeper than that because it's like truly I guess it's like re saying my fears to me but saying like they're not you know it's like you're okay as you are kind of thing but with my name anyway and it goes like 18 minutes and it's like this hypnosis thing so at the moment yeah. it's like i'm listening to that. but but yeah. yeah i love experimenting with all this stuff meditation breath work um yoga I, yeah, Eckhart Tolle, his other book, A New Earth, was the one that was, like, my first. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know what it is. He's, like, he is, he, he's sending so many people into the spiritual realm, you know? Like, I don't really feel a calling to, like, read those books again. But, like, they made such a powerful impact on my life at the right time. And it seems like almost everybody has, like, been turned on to spirituality through Eckhart Tolle. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And then Mushrooms was huge for me as well and now it's like this connection with it's just like I just crave like being in nature like I'm just addicted to it in this way that like I just love it it's so important to me now but it's like I didn't have that connection with nature it was like the mushrooms gave me that connection or something I think well I think it's like we we come from nature, you know, we like kind of spring out of the earth, you know, as humans, like we're not separate from the earth, but I think in the culture that we live in, like if you live in a city, like any city, like we're so generally almost every city is just so disconnected from, from nature. And I think when we take mushrooms, it gives us this like 
rooting back down. Like, I think that's also a way that I ground, but I don't do that as often. I do like a big mushroom trip, maybe like once a year. Cause I feel like it's a good way to like hit factory reset for my nervous system. It connects me down back to like my spiritual highest self. So yeah, that's a good addition mushrooms. And then last question is what three words describe the best version of you? Whoa. It's a good one. Whoa is not one of the words. Um, I'll start off. I'd say my highest self, I would say calm grounded and kind nice yeah i I said grounded because you said grounded but that's also a good word so that's what i would say because i who are we to be arrogant you know like we need to be humble we're just these like these little primates you know like going through life and we don't understand what's happening and i think it's tempting to be arrogant but it's that's not the truth of things like we can't be arrogant we're just part of this beautiful interconnected whole you know we're just like one little part of it or insignificant but vital at the same time. Yeah. What's the flag behind you, by the way? Oh, it's just like this cool little art piece that I liked. I just think it looks cool. And I like how, like, when I do these chats, it like, looks like I got a little sun above my head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Where I spent a lot of time in Denver, by the way, because my the, the guy I met at one of these frat parties and then moved to New York he was from Colorado. So we'd go like three times a year and stay with his family in Denver. Yeah. If you ever come to Denver, let me know. We can grab a drink or do something healthier than a drink. Cause <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel free to share it with someone. And also, um, a random 23 year old just messaged me on Instagram and told me he found the podcast through the algorithm. So it actually does help if you review the podcast and subscribe or follow and then you get to find out about future episodes as well review or rate you know what i mean anyway it would truly make my day so thank you in advance